Morning, y'all. Oh, man. It's a good day to be in the house today. Um, I don't know if you guys noticed, but we've got some new space, which is always amazing, man. I mean, just give it up for God just expanding this place. Our kids, we doubled the size of our kids' wing, and we, we have this incredible new youth space. And I want to thank those of you who've worked and served and given and, and done whatever you could do to make this happen. Uh, it is an incredible time to be here. What God is doing here is absolutely undeniable. Um, and it's neat, like, times like this remind me so much about why I love this place. Because I just feel like that it's so much bigger than any of us. Like none of us could have seen this. And none of us could, could have seen what's next. And so like I, I went to Jeff's church, my brother's church in Fort Smith the other day. And I hope our churches continue to, to grow together because we share a DNA quite literally, I guess, because it's my brother. But I mean, there's a lot of similarities. We're both sort of on this on this path together, we're, we're sharing in a similar sense of exile right now, but we, we're both on the same sort of path. And I got to, to share there, and that was fun, and I, and I loved it. But, and, and Christy, my wife, said it during the first gathering during the music, there's no place like home. And this is my home. And uh, you are my people, and I am just so proud of what God is doing in this place. And I love it. I love it. But you know, it's, it's, it's neat as, as we look at all the growth that's happening right now. God's timing in all this is, is unmistakably beautiful because set, like this time of year, uh, what's say August 18th, this is the first Sunday after kids have gone back to school, right? In the church calendar, this is sort of like New Year's because during the summertime, none of you people, but at some churches, a lot of people um, stop coming to church on a regular basis. Uh, they, they find other things to do. They, they go out and many, many people have boats and many of those people who have boats did not invite me on their boat and that has been noted. <laughs> so you may find your boat tire flat, but I'm a, I mean, so a lot of people do a lot of different things during the summer. But at this time of year, everyone sort of gets back into their routine and back in their schedules. And through that, we see an influx of people. There will be more people here today than have been here in a while. That's just the truth. And so as we get this, this new influx of people, people committing to church again, people maybe committing for the first time, at the same time, God in his infinite wisdom knew we'd need that new space. We wanted it like three years ago, but God said, you're going to get it today, and his timing was right. And so as new people are coming in, we've got this new space, and there's a lot of new, and that is exciting, and it is good. Um, I, I am so thankful to be part of this. I'm thankful for the message Chris Neal gave last week. I'm thankful that I can go somewhere and know that things are in amazing hands. This is an exciting place and there is much, much, much good to celebrate. And so I had a plan for today because I normally have some sort of plan. If anyone's still doing Year of the Bible, I'm not going to make y'all show your hands. But for those of you who are still doing Year of the Bible, I wanted to preach Corinthians this week so bad because it was juicy, like it was good. It, like, I mean, it really was. It was controversial, you know. I knew that it would ruffle some feathers, and I knew some people would be super uncomfortable, which would have made me very comfortable. <laughs> so I wanted to preach that. But then, but then after talking with Chris last week and after praying on it, God was like, no, no, I want you to stick in Nehemiah for another week. I was like, what about? He's like, trust me. So we're going to stick in Nehemiah one more week because the timing of this is just so incredible. Uh, Nehemiah, his story, just a little reminder for those of you uh, who weren't here, maybe you forgot since last week. Nehemiah was a, an Israelite, 
And he lived with all the other Israelites in a place called Israel. So they, they had this, this home that they, that they developed, right? And, and at one point, the Assyrians come in there and they take over the Israelites' homeland. And when the Assyrians do that, they tear down the wall and the wall was a big deal. When people say they went up to Jerusalem, they mean it. It's literal because Jerusalem is up on a hill. And so the wall surrounded the city and the wall provided identity and protection and people felt secure and the wall was a big deal. And when the Assyrians come in and conquer Israel, they tear down the wall. Not only do they tear down the wall, they, they topple the temple. They tear down the temple. Then they take all the people captive and exile them to a foreign land. So while this is, this is sort of the backdrop for the book of, of Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah hears about what's, what's gone on. And, and as he's hearing this, he's becoming more and more heartbroken because of the damage and the devastation that's happened in his city. And Nehemiah is now working uh, in the king's palace. And as the Assyrians are, are holding all the Israelites captives, the Persians come in and take over the Assyrians. So now the Persians are in charge and they've got the Israelites captive. And God begins to work in the heart of the Persian king to tell the Persian king to send some of these people back home. So what happens is first, the Persian king sends a man named Zerubbabel back. Do, I'm seminary trained. Please don't ever question my pronunciation. <laughs> From the same side, I also became a Jedi. But... So Zerubbabel goes back, and when Zerubbabel goes back, he rebuilds the temple, and he takes, he takes a, a, a remnant, a small group of Israelites back with him to the, to the homeland. They rebuild the temple, so that's good. That's progress. And then the Persian king allows Ezra to go back, and Ezra takes a small group of Israelites back, and they begin to rebuild the customs and, 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 the, and the sort of, you know, the traditions. They begin to rebuild the Israelite community, and so that's good, and there's progress, and things have happened but it's not quite done yet. Then God calls Nehemiah. And what I want you to see today in Nehemiah's call and the way he responds, there are four basic traits or sort of ideas or characteristics that we're going to see in the book of Nehemiah. And I believe it's why God wanted me to read this book this week. Because these four things are part of what made Nehemiah successful and these four things will be what makes us successful in going to the next level. Because let me tell you something, we're not there yet. Amazing things have happened, but we're not yet to where God has called us to be. And so in the book of Nehemiah, we see these four things. We see passion, we see vision, we see process, and we see commitment. And those four things, passion, vision, process, and commitment, those are the four things. We, matter of fact, let's, it's P, um, passion, vision, P-V-P-C. It's an acronym. If we have those four things, those are the things that God, not everything is catchy. Those are the four things that God will use to take us to the next level. And if we lack those things, if we fall off in those areas, we'll stagnate. And let me give you all bad news about a church. It's either growing or dying. There is no in between. We will either grow or we will die. And you will have a great deal of decision making and deciding which one of those it'll be. So Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4, it says this. It says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. 
So what's happened here is Nehemiah has heard about the good that's been done. He's heard that the city is better than it's been in years. Rubbable did his thing and Ezra did his thing. So there's a temple and there's community, but there's still no gates. The gates are still down. And when Nehemiah hears about this, it stirs passion in him. So he begins to weep. He knows good things are happening, but he knows the work is not done yet. And the problem in Nehemiah causes passion. And it causes passion because Nehemiah was connected to God. You know how you know he was connected to God? Because the way the man prayed, the way the man responded, the way the man acted, the way the man went about his business. You don't have to guess whether or not he was connected to God. It was evident in the way he lived. And because he was connected to God, when he saw this problem with people, it stirred a passion inside of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah was passionate about a problem. Good had been done in the city, but there was more to do. And so my hope for you today is that there's still some passion in this room. Good has been done. There is no doubt good has been done. I believe, I believe this church is, is the healthiest it's ever been. I believe we have done good things in this city. But there are still problems, and so there still should be passion. We did a backpack deal the other day, and we had collected backpacks for the intermediate and elementary schools, and we, we brought in 100 backpacks. Amen. That's good. We, amen. Yes. We brought in 100 backpacks, and that is great, and we should celebrate that. But there are a hundred kids in this community who would not get backpacks if it weren't for the church. And that's a problem, so there still should be passion. Because we have a recovery group. They meet on, on Monday nights, and there's anywhere from, I don't know, 20, 30, 50 people in that group. And that is awesome, and I am so happy that we have that group, and I'm, I'm happy that they meet here. But the fact that there are th that many hurting people in this community, there's still a problem, so there still should be some passion. There are 800, over 800 people who worship in this place every week. Like we're somewhere close to between 800 and 1,000 now. That's good. That's good. Like we should be happy about that. But, but the statistics say that only 70% in Arkansas of people in Arkansas actually believe Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. And if I had to bet, I would say the statistics are really way worse than that. Only 40% of people go to church at least once a month. I'm glad we've got 800 but our goal was 10,000. There's still a problem, so there still should be some passion. In our youth the other night, I, I got to watch our youth worship. I don't know, there was 80, 90, 100 kids in there, a room full, and we should celebrate that, and that should make us excited. But there are still hundreds of kids in this community who feel lost, lonely, abused, and neglected. There are still problems, so there should still be passion. We must not lose the passion for the problem. It's easy for us to look around and go, oh, man, we're there. No, we're not. We are surrounded by hurting people. We're nowhere near where we need to be yet. There are still problems out there, so there should still be passion in here. And if there's not, God help us. Literally, God help us. Because his heart is still breaking for what's going on out there. And if you think we've done something yet, I pray you find a new passion. Because there is still work to be done. Safe families, man. Y'all know the work we do with safe families? Chris and Katie took another child in this week. They opened their home, and we should be proud of that, but there are still single moms that have nowhere to turn but to a stranger. That's a problem, and so there better be passion. Find a passion. We must become passionate about the problems that are still in this community. When I look at this community, guys, I, I'm thrilled. When I look at this church, you don't think I'm excited? I love this, but there's still problems. 
And in this house, we, we might not be able to you know, provide the, the, the social solution for every problem, but we know what the final solution for every problem is, and we know that solution has a name, and we know that name is Jesus Christ. We know what the solution for every problem in this community is. And we're, we're going to feed people because we should, and it's right. And we're going to give people clothes because we should, and it's right. And we're going to give them cars if we can because we should, and it's right. Don't all go signing up for that one. That one's a little iffy and far between. <laughs> Homes, I mean, whatever we can do. But we're not, we're not a social service. We're not, here's some food, now go, we're, here's some food, here's some Jesus. Like we're giving you Jesus because we believe that more than food and more than cars and more than homes and more than clothes and more than anything else in the world, you need Jesus Christ because he is the solution to every problem in the world. And so we must have a passion that drives us to a vision. Nehemiah not only had passion, his passion pushed him towards a purpose. Listen to Nehemiah 2.17, it says this. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. There's the passion. The gates have been burned with fire. He says, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. We will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Nehemiah had a passion, and his passion was the gates had fallen. The, the, the town had lost its security and its identity. That passion led him to a purpose or a vision which was simple, rebuild the gates. Their vision statement, their T-shirt said, rebuild the gates, right? We've got a vision statement because our passion has, our, our, the problems in the world have cultivated a passion in our people, and so we have a vision statement. It is everyone needs Jesus and everyone's our responsibility. And if you haven't bought into that vision, it's because you have yet to allow God to ignite the passion. Because for people who are passionate about people, when you fall in love with Jesus Christ, you come to realize they all need Jesus. And the next step becomes they're my responsibility. Not someone else's, not the church down the road, not, 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 well, I used to serve 10 years ago. Now it's someone, no, it's your job. And if God is still cultivating passion in your heart, then there should still be a vision. And our vision is so incredibly simple to lead everyone into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not to introduce them to some Jesus that, that inoculates them to the truth. Not some Jesus that says, oh, everything you're doing is okay. But the real Jesus who came full of grace and full of truth, and he didn't come to affirm you, he came to transform you. He came to find us exactly where we are and say, die to me and I'll take you. And we die to him, we're born again in him, and we're reborn as new creations. That's the Jesus we want this community to see. Not some watered down Jesus that draws people into church. The real Jesus Christ that makes us all just a little bit uncomfortable. That's the one we want them to find. We are creating disciples who create disciples because if there is a passion in you, that passion ignites a vision. And the vision is to bring the world the solution, and the solution is Jesus Christ. And there's a process. Nehemiah had a process. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to read it to you, but all of chapter 3, I, I would encourage you to read it. All of chapter 3 of Nehemiah is outlining the process. And the process for Nehemiah was, all right, you fellas over here, uh, you know, the Belvedite clan, y'all are going to build the Sheep Gate, and the, the Gershonites, y'all are going to build the 
the Lion Gate and the Ammonites, y'all are going to build it. And so he gave everyone a job and everyone knew exactly what they were supposed to be doing. And everyone was working on a different gate. And there was a Lion Gate and an Elephant Gate and all these different gates. And everybody knew what they were doing because they had passion and they shared vision and they understood process. And so they were all working together. Does anybody in this room know what our process is? It's three words. Yes. Thank you. Good job. One person's on board. Restore, connect, and serve. That's the process here. It's, um, the process is to find people who are passionate. You are passionate about a problem. To share a vision and then to lead you on a path that allows you to actually do something about the problem that you're passionate about. And so restored people, we come together and we begin to experience restoration. We begin to experience our true identity as sons and daughters of the king. And then we take restored people and we connect you in groups because you need to be connected in groups. Don't tell me, well, I sit in the deer stand by myself. I don't need any kind of community. Ah, stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. Mm -mm. I listen to Hagee by myself. That's not enough. You need community. God, I mean, in Genesis, God sees man alone. He goes, that ain't good, man. That's, that's not good right there. That's a paraphrase. But it is not good for us to be alone. We must be connected inside of community. So restored people who are passionate, who share vision, get together in little groups. And in little groups, they do massive amounts of damage. And then, amen, the squirrels. That's, that's the most deadly group in this house, man. It is what it is. And then you take passionate people who share a vision, who are being restored, who are getting connected, and you ignite them to serve. Because at this point, they've realized, lean in, lean in, lean in, everybody lean in, 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 everybody. It's not just about you. It's about other people. And so we're ignited and we're empowered to serve. And now we're actually doing something about the problem that we're passionate about. We're no longer part of the problem. We're part of the solution. This is our process. This is what we do. This is who we are. Vision, passion, process. But if you don't have this fourth part, it's all nothing. Commitment. Commitment. Half the 30-year-old guys just left the room. <laughs> Commitment. <laughs> it's not like that. It's bigger. And Nehemiah had commitment. Let's listen to Nehemiah 6, 1 through 4. It says, when word came to Sambalah and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies that we had rebuilt the wall and there was not a gap left in it. Though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sambalah and Geshem sent me this message. Come, Nehemiah, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. They were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project, and I can't come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent the same message, and four times he gave them the same answer. I am doing some things right now. I don't have time for that because I'm committed to this. And oftentimes what happens is we get committed for a little while to something great and then something good comes along and steals our focus. It says in the Bible that the, the devil often, often disguises himself as an angel of light. We get so committed to church and then baseball season happens. Ooh, yikes. And then lake season happens. 
And then, you know, what happens, happens, happens. We move, we're now seven miles away instead of three miles away. And that extra four minutes, if you're not committed to this, nothing else I've just said makes any difference to you. You got to be committed. Nehemiah was committed. He was committed to staying on that wall and he would not let things distract him, even good things. He was like, no, nothing will distract me from doing what God has called me to do because he had passion and he had vision and he understood the process and he was committed to making things work. He was committed to doing everything he could do. So as we celebrate this growth, as we celebrate the new, as we rejoice for what God has done, I have to ask this question, are you committed Is there, a, is there a passion in you? Have you become numb to the pain of the world because now we're safe and secure in this little room? Are you satisfied with 800? Is there still some passion for the problems of the world? Do you share the vision that everyone needs Jesus and everyone is actually your responsibility, not just my responsibility? Do you share that vision? Are you willing, are you so passionate and so full of vision that you're actually willing to participate in a process even if you feel like you don't need every step of it? Are you willing to experience restoration, to commit to this, to make this a priority over everything else? To make Sunday worship a priority over everything else in your life? And I get what I'm asking for, I hear it. I know this is hard. But what are we telling the world if this is third, fourth, or fifth down our priority list? Everyone needs Jesus to have our responsibility, but Jesus is my fifth priority. Are you willing to commit to this as a priority? Are you willing to commit to connection as a priority? Even though I know you don't need it because you watch Hagee alone, are you willing to connect so that other people might be connected through you? And are you willing to serve? Because if you're not, and you've been here for five, six, or seven years, it may be time to give up your seat and make room for someone who is. Because in this place, we will be passionate. And in this place, we will have a holy discontent in us that says, God, thank you for what you've done. I'm content in this, but I'm not there yet. And in this place, we will share vision. And in this place, we will work. And in this place, we will serve. And in this place, we will grow. And we'll do that with 50 people. We'll do it with 1,000 people. But the people who call this house home Act like it. You know what? People ask me all the time, how many members you got down there? And you know what my answer is every time? I don't care. I don't know how many members we got. I don't care how many members we got. I care how many committed human beings are in this room. There's a lot of members of a lot of churches who aren't that committed. Will you commit? Maybe it's time today that you recommit. Now, if you're new, man, hang out for a while. This problem doesn't become your problem for another few months. <laughs> but if you've been here, will you pray that God once again cultivates passion in you? Will you pray that with me? Will you repent for the times we have seen people and we have grown numb because we've got enough? Will you repent for the time you saw somebody and said, yeah, pass by them? Will you repent with me for the times that people have felt excluded from this because we didn't go out of our way to make them feel at home because we've been here for six years and still think we're a guest. Will you repent with me for not going that extra mile to make sure that we really live out the things we say we believe? Let's celebrate what has happened.
but let's get honest about what hasn't and then let's move forward with passion and vision that we share and a process that makes sense and commit. And commitment will cost you something. It always does. But you're sitting in a seat that costs someone else something. You're sitting in a building that's cost a lot of people a lot. You're worshiping in a country that's cost a lot of people a lot. And your life is saved because of Christ's commitment to you. Celebrate what's happened. Please celebrate it. But do not think we're there yet. I'm praying that God gives me new passion and new commitment. Will you join me?